There's so many bad books in South Africa. I keep saying this, and that's why when I discover a good book, I love it. And I love to uh, then get hold of the author. And this is not a full-time author. This is an autobiography. Nikki Munitz has got a story. Well, if you believe like I do, that we are spirits having a human experience, then you also agree that Nikki has been singled out for a very special journey this time around. Raised in a Jewish household in Norwood, Her path saw her graduate from recreational drug use to hardcore addiction and then into a deeply dysfunctional marriage. She stole millions from a trust account at the legal firm where she was employed, ended up being convicted after she'd cleaned herself up, and so went into the Sun City Jail years after that. So as a as a sane human being. And well, it's it's a riveting book. I'm going to just show you, put it into the, there we go. That's what it looks like. You can hardly miss it. Um, and Nikki, lovely to be talking with you. I guess the question is, it's a heck of a journey, but why write about it? Why tell the rest of the world um, these very deeply personal uh, incidents that happened in your life? Uh, thank you so much for having me. That's a That's a good question. Initially, when I had an idea of writing a book, the vision was one of shock value. You know, I just wanted to sell books and I knew that the story that I had to tell was going to intrigue people to an extent where they would want to buy the book and read all about it. Many years passed since that initial thought and vision and the 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 view for the book or the dream for the book became very different, whereas the shock value aspect of it was one really small part And the bigger part was to teach people about change and about hope and about self-esteem. And so far, so good. The feedback's been pretty accurate um, that people are getting the message, which I'm really, really grateful about. I guess there are some who believe that when we have these experiences in life, they're really there to pass on to others so we can empathize and maybe help others from not having such a hard time when they go through what we've been through already. Have you applied, well, I know because I've read your book, but maybe you can tell us how you've applied those experiences. Well, I think that although my experiences are quite uh, intense, what I realized is that my experiences also weren't unique. You know, being quite lost in life, um, feeling like I was playing some type of a role and not feeling authentic and free in my own life um, and my own journey um, is something that probably majority of people I know struggle with. And so the work that I did on myself to get to a place of authenticity and freedom had uh, prison played a role in that, but it certainly wasn't the only role. And, and breaking free of my internal prison and helping others to do the same has been more of the the hero's journey or the authentic journey that's, that's actually been mine um, and what is documented in the book. You mentioned prison. And I guess that's, for many people, a, a different world. And so uh, those chapters are riveting. You were at Sun City. And maybe I've got something that I can share with you. When they built Sun City Prison originally, which is to the south of Johannesburg, because of the concrete and the orange lights, it looked like Sun City Resort in, in uh, what was then Bapuritswana. And that's why they called it Sun City. Of course, it's anything but uh similar to to that resort 
And when you arrived there, it has to have been kind of the biggest shock that uh, that you could have imagined. Well, I, I, I did often wonder where the name came from because I knew it definitely wasn't from the fact that you experienced sun, of which we had very little um, while I was there. Um, in fact, it's rather freezing. Um, yeah, the whole experience was from start to finish. Um, it's something like I often have flashbacks in my mind of what it was like to truly lose my identity. And that's what happens when you go into prison. Um, you arrive and you get documented where it's probably the last time they use your name. Um, and after that, you get given a uniform and you become a number. Um, and your identity becomes irrelevant um, in terms of like your personal like life, of who you are, of your family, of everything that exists outside of your prison sentence. And like that's really tough, <laughs> you know, and I suppose that my journey of finding self-esteem in a place where I didn't really properly exist in my own personal capacity, um, yeah, it was, it was quite interesting that that's where I found myself. Surrender, surrender, surrender. Explain that. You have no choice. You know, as much as you don't want to be there, um, as much as, you know, you wish that things had turned out differently, that you keep waiting to wake up from this nightmare, that's just not the case, you know. And every new person that comes in goes through this experience of, like, I just can't believe I'm here. Like, I can't believe this is happening to me. And you kind of watch that process of surrender as we each went through of having to acknowledge this is where I am and there is nothing I can do to change it and instead I need to um, like almost embrace the situation and, and make it the best possible situation that I can. Um, and, you know, to get through each one day at a time, knowing that we're moving towards, you know, the end of the sentence eventually, one day, one hour, sometimes one minute at a time, depending on, on how much of a struggle it is. Did you connect with a higher power when you talk about surrender? Was that part of the surrender? In other words, saying, look, I can't do this. Uh, my best efforts have got me here. Maybe some higher power will be able to help me through there? I certainly did. I think I felt closer connection to a higher power then than I had previously ever in my life. Um, since then, I have experienced far more of that on a more in-depth level. Um, but I really just trusted the process and knew that everything that had happened in my life was part of a bigger story and part of a greater good and that I could trust that my well-being was being taken care of even when I couldn't see it or feel it. And looking back in hindsight, um, that's always been my best spiritual awakenings where I'm like, oh, that's why it happened that way. Um, and you know, sometimes in the moment, it, I can't always see it. It doesn't feel nice. It's always a gift that comes disguised in an ugly box. Um, but everything happens exactly as it's meant to. And I do believe that. Um, yeah. That's so interesting. Your, and your journey really was a, a, a tough one, as I said right at the beginning. But also many parallels for people who, who have different journeys, but they also have their own challenges and their own struggles. And uh, I guess that's part of the of the experience you went through. You mentioned in the book Houghton House and a place called Nopoort. Now, let's start off with the, the bad and then the good. 
Tell us a little bit about this place, Nopuert. Nopuert uh, was a rehabilitation center originally, I think, created for families that were in sheer desperation um, that had tried many other avenues to help their loved ones get sober and just had fallen short. Um, so it was a really long-term facility that was lacking any sort of creature comfort. There was the basic belief system that... Um, you know, it's your own lack of gratitude, your own lack of discipline that gets you into the position that you're in. And so that excessive discipline and um, almost beating you into submission was the solution. And, uh, and our families are pretty angry with us when we go into rehab. So, you know, going into a nice cushy rehab often annoys our families. But going into a place where you've got the bare necessities, you're not being treated very kindly, there's almost a relief in it. Some families wanting us to be punished, some families thinking that it needs to be beaten out of us. Whatever the case was, that was kind of the the foundation of of Nopud and how it operated. Yeah, is it still? Going? I was there for. As far as I know, I think it has changed a bit since when I was there. Partly because um, the original founders have both passed away, uh, Pastor Sophus and his wife, but also. Because while I was there, a 16-year-old boy died and he wasn't the only one, I mean, throughout the, the time there through neglect and abuse um, where people had lost their lives. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it has evolved somewhat, but not massively, um, <laughs> unfortunately. And that's out in the Karoo. So it must have been, you talk about Sun City being cold. I'm sure that that must have been a pretty chilly experience too. Absolutely, in the evenings, for sure. But we were squashed like sardines. Uh, there were so many of us there <laughs> that I think we didn't get to feel the cold a lot of the time. Mm. It was always interesting to me that each pit bull had their own house that they were chained in because, you know, they bred pit bulls. There about 300 of them. Um, but for us as the women, we stayed in one small house and there were about 30 of us living in one house at a, at a stage. It was very interesting. <laughs> was it worse than prison? Way worse. In prison, you have rights. You know, there are certain rules and requirements that the people looking after you have to adhere to. Um, whereas in no post, it was a free for all, you know, and, and it was being run by people who were not trained or educated, but barely in recovery themselves. Um, so there were kind of no real guiding principles. And then Heart and House, which is quite famous for having helped a lot of addicted people overcome those addictions. Um, yeah, so Halton House at the time uh, was, you know, the gold standard of addiction treatment. And um, I was a resident there for a short period, but I also worked there for just under eight years. Um, and they really molded me and guided me in my initial part of my journey of both my personal and professional career um, and kind of set the tone for me to find my way into what I now you know, the way place that I operate from, which is Sandhurst Manor, um, which incorporates not only what I learned through Heart and House, but um, far more inclusive of self-esteem and empowerment that I believe was lacking in, in many treatments um, because, you know, as addicts, we couldn't be trusted to make our own decisions. But uh, somewhere along the lines, someone forgot to teach us how to make decisions. Um, yeah, so so that's what I do. Before we leave the whole prison side, there's a guy at Sun City Prison called Craig Warriner uh, who gave himself up. He, he stole so far 
3 billion rand, we know from thousands of South Africans who entrusted their savings to him through a Ponzi scheme. What would he be going through now? Do you think that, it, or just just give us some insight into the, the kind of culture that that one experiences when you arrive there? Well, I mean, it's all very dependent on how connected you are and how much financial backing you have. Um, if you have money, I mean, there's an ecosystem in there very much like there is out here. <laughs> and if you um, have privilege, if you come from privilege, you are taken care of and you are treated with respect. And if you don't, you are simply discarded um, and kind of have to fight for your place. So I would imagine that it's not a pleasant experience, but it certainly could be far worse if uh, he didn't have the financial means to make sure that he was being taken care of. And when I say taken care of, I'm saying his safety. I'm talking about, you know, the fact that he'll have a bed to sleep in, um, that someone would even assist him in doing his laundry and to, you know, making sure that he gets called uh, timelessly when he's got a visit. Um, you know, there's, like I said, it's a whole ecosystem in there and, and money makes the world go around whether you're in prison or whether you're not. So fascinating. Just just moving on through your story um, and maybe postscripts, because there will be a lot of people watching this interview who will be reading it. What has happened to, I love your description, my husband, if one can even call him that? It's actually very interesting. Um, in hindsight, I can see how mentally ill he actually was. Um, and at the time, I just thought he was abusive and I, I didn't totally understand. But now, knowing how um, unwell he is, uh, you know, he, he, I've never been told directly, but I've been hinted through various facilities that there is some schizoaffective disorders. He did often hear voices. I often thought it was related to the drugs, but I don't think it was. And as far as I know, either he lives with his mom or at times he's even been homeless. So um, really not a well, well chap, unfortunately. So calm as a bitch. You said it, not me. <laughs> and Celia Coburn, you've mentioned a little bit about self-esteem and she, I guess, would be a mentor for you in that area. In your book, you say she was in her 80s. Is she still around? She absolutely is. And she sees more clients than I do. I don't know how she does it. She is, I think self-esteem keeps her young, um, you know, and every time someone tells her to slow down, she lands up designing some new course, training more um, facilitators. She is constantly on the go. So I'd say she's 84 going on 24 at this point in time. And what exactly does she do? And you said what I do. What, what are you, how are you making a living or making your contribution today? I do many things. But um, I see clients individually, work with them one-on-one -on -one to help them build their self-esteem. I also run workshops. I do corporate seminars. Um, I do. I do also have a wellness center, and I deal with people struggling with any mental health issues. So we do an inpatient uh, setting as well. Um, I also train new coaches, so help teach people to do what I do as well. So once they've worked on their own self esteem, if they want to help other people learn how to do the same thing, um, and I also train international coaches on. Um, certain elements of addiction coaching that they can incorporate into the work that they do. And the reality is I keep getting given these incredible new opportunities um, and I'm living a life that's beyond explanation and my wildest dreams. And Celia? Celia helps train new facilitators. She helped me design a course during lockdown called Self-Esteem, the Golden Key to Recovery. 
um, which is really for anyone who struggles with self-destructive behavior or thoughts. It's a 12-week program. And so she helps me train new facilitators that can run those workshops for me because I just, there's not enough me to go around. Um, so she helps me kind of get new people up to speed. So it's uh, incredible that, as you say, you're now living a life beyond your wildest dreams, although you had to go a pretty rocky road to get there. Has the book helped much? Have you have you had much feedback from people saying, damn it, I'd like to learn from this person who's actually been there, done that, and and maybe knows what's going through my brain? Absolutely. I've had um, many people, people that are, are new from my past and people that I've never met that have read the book and reached out and said, you know, like I have my own version of my prison and I believe that the work that you do could help me break free of it. So I've really engaged with some incredible uh, new clients, um, people that are wanting to really do the work in their lives to make the changes that they need to. Um, so I think in part the book gives my story credibility and gives people hope that it's real. <laughs> the change is possible because um, otherwise it just seems like a pie-in-the-sky fairy tale. And Nikki, your own family, what have you been able to apply to your own new husband and children and your relationships there from what you learned in the past? Um, I think what I've been able to apply is a space of honesty and of respect and of growth and an acknowledgement that we're not looking for perfection, but rather a space where we can make mistakes and know that we are safe enough to be able to grow through it together Um and, you know, I think that's all we need. We're not looking for a place where, where no one, you know, ever injures us or hurts us or that we don't hurt anyone else, but rather that we can acknowledge that a mistake was made and we need to make some changes. Um, and it's a space of love across the board. When you look at South Africa and how caught up we are in the big picture, if you like, of other people stealing and other people doing stuff and other people going to jail and so on, given the very real journey that you've had. How do you, how do you react to um, those kind of conversations? Well, I mean, if one of the premises of self-esteem is that we live with knowledge of our own equality, we know that South Africa is such, not only an unequal society, but we don't live with knowledge that we are equals. And if that was something that we could change, personally, each one of us took responsibility for making that change. I believe that we would change our entire society. Um, I also, you know, my clients that would complain about corruption and about crime, yet at the same time we're bribing the traffic cop or, you know, we are, we're not living according to our own moral compass and we're judging others for doing something that we're, we're aiding. <laughs> we're adding to that crime. You know, when I drive drunk and I have an accident and I'm not honest about it and I claim from my insurance, you know, those, those are crimes. <laughs> Um, so I think if each person was able to just look at their own side of the street, I mean, that alone would make a massive difference. Well, I hope you sell thousands and thousands of books. I would love to say tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands, but I know the reality in South Africa. Um, we, we don't have too many people who read books, but I'm sure yours uh, has, has got a, a wider application than, than someone just out of interest. And thanks for sharing your journey with us and for sharing this time with us here on Biz News. Nikki Minutes is the author of the autobiography, Fraud, How Prison Set Me Free. And I'm Alec Hogg from biznews.com. Music.